gets up in the morning to make himself a cup of coffee. And he reads and studies his Bible each morning. His beautiful wife comes in and kisses him good morning and then begins to make breakfast. About halfway through her cooking breakfast, he gets up and he goes and he wakes up the kids. They get out of bed instantly and make their beds and get ready for the rest of the day. They walk out to their perfectly, out of their perfectly clean room and enjoy a conversation over breakfast about God and the events coming up for the day. They get ready in a few minutes and then they have a few minutes left in the morning to pray together and sing before going off to church. They, go in the, they get in the car and they go and uh, like every Sunday or Thursday or whenever it is, they get there on time, slightly early and ready for whatever event they're going to. After church, they talk with friends, and then they head back home to their perfectly clean home where Mom had made a roast, and it is perfectly ready, just like always, as she had prepared it during breakfast. It's another perfect morning. The house is spotless. The kids are well-behaved. Everyone gets along. It's their first marriage. They've never had a fight. They dated for two years. They were high school sweethearts. Members of the youth group, they got married and waited 5.2 years to have children. They have a dog, a cat, and two kids. They're perfect. Except they don't exist. Well, only in your mind do they exist. In reality, the typical family is anything but typical. They stay up late. They sleep in. They forget to do their homework. They read. They don't read or pray together. They rush around in the morning, desperately trying to get to work, school, or wherever they're trying to get to. They fight in the car. They yell in the morning. The kids are moody. They drag in. This may be their second or third marriage, uh, and their patience is running thin on this one. They have not had a date in months, and now the days seem to be more about going and putting on a face than being a family or even showing love. They are overworked, underpaid, and overstressed. They are forgotten that they can't, or they are forgetful, and they can't keep a clean house. No one can remember the last time they had a peaceful meal together to just relax. This is how the normal family is. They don't like it, but it's simply the best they can do. They love God and they want to be involved, but they just can't quite get everything together. There we go. It'll catch up to me eventually. My job this morning, and my job every day... See, it's catching up. So I'm ahead. All right. My job here this morning is to bring you a lesson. And I prefer to do um, my sermons like Granddad does. I prefer to preach directly out of the text. But today we're going to be looking at a broader um, subject. And we're going to be kind of all over the place. And I don't necessarily enjoy preaching that way. But I think this is important because my job and even Granddad's job is this. To equip you to be ministers. A lot of times we don't think about that. We come in, we go up to you, we do what we want to do. But honestly, me and Granddad's number one job is to equip you to do the work that we're doing. We want to equip you to be able to deliver the gospel to your friends and your family. And my number one goal and purpose in this congregation is to equip um, families. So my job then becomes to equip you to equip families. So my job this morning is to equip you to handle your family, to handle your friends' families, to be ministers and be able to step into those families and be helpful as well as to be helpful around here, to build the families that are here. Yes, I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be working hard at that. But I'm trying to, to multiply myself in this work. That is what God has called me to, and that's what God has called every minister to. 
Let's start with defining family. But before we can really define family, we need to decide why we should define family. Family shapes our society. Family is the bedrock and the building stones of every civilization. Where the family goes, so does the civilization. So it's important that we define family and get that clear in our minds. Certain privileges come with the status and, uh, of family. You, we can go in and visit hospitals. The government limits how many people can live in a home to what they consider a family. Um, even the, the gay rights activists, they are working towards redefining family. This is something that is under attack all the time. But I think one of the number one reasons why we need to work on defining families and why this topic needs to be discussed is at the bottom. 12%, I don't know how accurate this statistic is, 90% of all statistics are made up on the spot. This one was online, so maybe it's a little bit more accurate. But 12% of divorced or single parents don't go to church. And the reason that this site gave was because they don't feel like the church is connected and understands where they're at. They don't feel like there's sympathy there. That's a problem, guys. We need to be reaching out and being the doctor to those who are hurting. And honestly, the traditional family is not near... I'm going to do that all morning. Let's just put this over and... There. Now I hit the button I've been wanting to hit. Alright. Because um, we, we have to define family so that we can know how to help. So how do we define family? Well, there's a couple ways that we define family. First, we need to look at what is the reality. We have to be connected with what is true and what is reality. So we have to look at what, the, what is true of our culture. We also have to look at what we believe, what, what, the, what is normal in our minds. What I read this morning is, is what the traditional mindset is for a traditional Christian family. But we all know when read aloud, when we say it out loud, we know it's not attainable. So we have to look at where, this, where the culture is. We have to look at what we believe to be true, what the, what the traditional family looks like. And then we need to take those two things and we need to go and look at the scriptures and say, okay, what needs to come over and what needs to be left behind and thrown away? So that's my goal this morning is to kind of help us work through that. The traditional family... It is the Cleaver family. Leave it to Beaver. Um, the first, this is the first marriage for both of them. There are no other children from any other unions. There's not even adopted kids or foster care, care kids in the household. Uh, both spouses love each other. They're committed to one another. And father knows best. He's head of the household and mom stays home and she, work, or and she just works around the house. That is the traditional American family. And this really hasn't been the case since the 50s. This is something that has gone on. We, we all know that family is much more colorful than the Claver family. There's more color, there's more depth. And when there's more color and when there's more depth, it's a lot more prickly. There, there, there's not as, it's not as clear and cut and dry. So we have to come to understand that. The reality is that most families are what are considered a blended family. Now, I don't like that term. I really don't like the term blended family, but I don't have another way to say it. But most families are blended families. They're on their second or third marriage. They have, they have kids from other uh, relationships. And, and we have to be able to address those families and help them where they're at. We can't look down our spiritual noses and say, well, well, back in my day. No, 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 no. They're there. We have to meet them where they're at. We can't look down our spiritual noses at them. We have to meet them where they're at. And some of us, 
Actually, in this congregation, most of us are in that position. This is very common. The other statistic that is troubling to me is 30% of all marriages do not have children. Now, that might not seem that alarming, but when we begin to look at the, the goal of God and family, the absence of children from the family equation in America is alarming. When, when you look through history, just turn on the television. In the 50s, we had the Cleaver family, traditional family, high values. We get into the 60s, and, and we have um, uh, the Andy Griffith show. We have a non-traditional family, but still family values. We move into the 90s, and we have lots of, of shows like Friends and things like this that have no kids involved. There's divorce, there's, there's gay and lesbian couples, there's all this stuff, and we're laughing at it. That's the direction that the culture has been pushing. And we really see it in the TV shows in the 90s. Now, there are some good ones, Home Improvement and a few others, but the kids are, all, are, are the center of the family. It's the family as a whole is not the goal, it's the kids. So, so as we look at, at the tradition of, of the, um, the... As we look at our culture, we need to understand where we were, where we have been, where we're going, and then what God is calling us to. Other issues that our culture is facing are births outside of marriage, non-married couples living together. We have same-sex on the rise and, and the push in our culture to do that. We have working wives, people outside of the home. We have separation and divorce. And then there's adoption. Adoption's kind of on the rise, and I'm, I'm kind of glad about that. These are the factors that are facing our families, and we have to understand those in order to minister well to those in the world, and even those here in, the, in our church. We have to understand where they're at, and we need to minister to them lovingly and understandingly. Now, I'm not saying we leave our standards and what God is calling us to at the door. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is this. We cannot abandon, or not that we abandon the ideal, but that we... Approach it with realistic thinking. We have to address this problem realistically. Otherwise, we will come across disconnected from our culture and we will do nothing but push people away. And we cannot do that. We cannot afford to do that. We have to address our culture where they're at and in a loving and understanding way. When we look at the biblical family, when we look at the Bible, we open up the Bible. What we see is not the Cleaver family. We see anything but the Cleaver family. We see multiple wives married to one man. We see adultery. We see um, favoritism among, among um, kids. We see all these different things that are going on in these Bible stories. But the wonderful message of this is this. God is in the business of using those who are broken. And isn't that a good thing? Because I know I'm broken. I'm one who's broken. And I'm glad that God's able to use me. And He can do the same with our families, regardless of where they're at. Now, I'm not saying that we should necessarily be content with where our family's at. We're going to come to the Word of God month after month, and we're going to look at family. We're going to look at what is God calling us to. Parents, what are they calling you to? What are they calling you to in your marriage? What are... What is God calling to you to in your singleness? Where is God calling you as children? We're going to look at that. I'm not saying we need to be content with it. What I'm saying is God will use you where you're at. God will use your family and He will take you on a road if you will let Him to healing and reconciliation 
He will bring your family to where He wants, what He's calling you to, but along the way He will use you to impact the kingdom. He's not content to leave you where you're at, but He will meet you where you're at and He will be on the journey with you. And that's what we as Christians are called to, and that's why we have to understand our culture. Let's look at the Word of God. Let's, let's see what the purpose is for family. Um, turn over to Malachi. Let's see if we can come up with a biblical definition of family. But, but first, let's look at the purpose of family. Let's look and see what the purpose of our family is. Next slide. There we go. Okay, so Malachi 2, 15 says this. Has not the one God made you? You belong to Him in body and in spirit. What does the one God seek? What is He, is he looking for? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. A lot of times Christians will go to this passage and they'll say, Look, no divorce. No divorce. Okay, well that's good and all. But some of us are already there. Some of us have already been there. We've disobeyed God or something has happened. Whatever it is, we've already done that. But what is the reason that God hates divorce? It's the kids. It's the family. God is more concerned with raising godly offspring and bringing up a generation that knows Him and loves Him and is committed to Him than He is to you remaining married. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is something that God loves and wants. But His goal and His desire is that you raise godly children. Sometimes remaining married to that man will mean that you're not going to raise godly offspring. Sometimes remaining married to that woman will mean that you're not going to raise godly offspring. And that's why God allows divorce. Because He understands that sin is in our lives. But this is the main reason. This is the big thing that God is concerned about when it comes to family. Is that He raises godly offspring. And I hope that we can all say that about ourselves as well. The next thing I want to look at this morning is that of of who is in a family. Who are the people that are in families? So, so let's look at a few different things. Um, because family is more than blood. I, I love this picture because this is a bulk of my family and a few of Alyssa's family that were able to make it to our wedding. You know, this is two families that have come together solely not on blood, but simply because of love, because of commitment. That's what joins a family. So, so who are the, the members of a family? Next slide, please. There we go. Okay. Adoption. This, this, is, this is something that Alyssa has been, had a heart for for a couple weeks now. This idea of adoption and, and, and those who are in the foster care system and those who are orphans. There are hundreds, thousands of kids around the world who are in need of homes. Sometimes for a short term, maybe a summer, um, while the schools are out in the country where they're at and the, the orphanage shut down. Maybe it's because of any number of reasons, but adopting a family... Bringing a family together in spite of blood. And isn't that what we are as a family of uh, a body of believers? We are a, a body that are adopted, and we're going to look at that in a second. Alright, so let's look at let's look at an issue of adoption here in Scripture. Genesis 4 or 48, 5 and 6 says this. Now then, your sons were born your were born to you here in Egypt. Now this is this is Isaac, or not Isaac, um, I, Israel. This is Israel or Jacob talking to his son Joseph in Israel or in, in Egypt. He says, Those who were born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned to me as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. They are children born to, those children born to you after them 
will be yours in the territory that they will inherit. They will be reckoned to them as mine. What, what, Isaiah, or what Israel is saying to his son is this. I'm going to adopt your kids. And they're going to take your place in the family. They're going to inherit the same portion like their brothers. Like my blood sons. So adoption is not the second class children. They are right there with the blood relation. I don't know how many in this room are adopted or if there is any, but I imagine in a room this size there are several that are adopted. And there is a glory in this adoption. Because it doesn't just stop here because God uses this this imagery of family over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Let's look at another one. Galatians 3, 26 says this. So in Christ Jesus you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are heirs, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Our faith, our relationship to God is solely based upon this issue of adoption. This is so central and so under-talked about in our Christian um, circles. Adoption is key is a key doctrine in our understanding of our salvation. When we are baptized into Christ, we are born into, actually adopted into, but born into a family of God. Ephesians doesn't bounce around the bush. Ephesians one ten or five says this. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His will and His pleasure. It says it bluntly. He adopted us. He sought us out in our sins before we were even willing to look towards God. He sought us out. He paid the price. And then He brings us home. And He puts up with our temper tantrums and wanting our sin. And He says, you're going to stay here and you're part of this family. That's what God does. And that is what God is calling us to do as well. So there might be some of you out there who can do that. Who can adopt a child and enlarge enlarge your family in love and in number by saying, you know what? I have the time. I have the ability. I'm going to bring in a child into my family. And I'm going to care for them and love them and bring them to the Lord. And deal with all the things that go on with the pain that leads up to someone needing adopted. So so that's something that, that you might want to think about. The other thing I want to look at is is this idea of household. This is an interesting concept, and this is really how God defines family, is this idea of household. And this is not an exhaustive study at all on this topic, but I've got to stay in within my time limit. Um, Abraham, in Genesis 14, 14, we, we get this really interesting picture of family. Abraham heard that his relative Lot had been taken captive, and he called out 318 trained men. Out of his household. Now wait a minute. Genesis 14 is prior to Ishmael being born. This is prior to Isaac being born. So that means that Abraham has no sons. No daughters. He has no offspring. So we have Lot, blood relation. Technically, because his brother died, he probably has the the ranking in his family of the firstborn son. Lot has the ranking of the firstborn son because he is the firstborn son son. 
So Lot's probably takes the position in the family of firstborn, and his nephew slash brother in the family of Abraham, who has no kids, has 318 trained men in his household. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of people. Can you imagine the women that go along with that? I mean, if you just double that number, that's a huge house. I don't know how about you, but I mean, I don't. Can this auditorium even hold three hundred people, much less six hundred? I mean, that's a large household. And this is just the trained men, men of men of fighting age. This is a large household. But his and most of these guys probably aren't blood relations. So this is we have a relation of Lot, and then we have three hundred trained men in his household. Those who live under his roof, who he is responsible for, who he has taken in and said, you know what, I will provide for you. I will take care of you. You are under my protection. You're under my roof. Now they're not all living in one tent. They're living in a community. That's an interesting view of household. He goes back and he pursues the enemy. He takes them out and he recovers back everything that his lot, that lot possessed. Who else makes up a household? Well, sometimes we don't get the traditional marriage. Whether it be from death, or whether it be from divorce, or just simply separation, you have a wife or or a parent who is single. They're running the household on their own. They don't have anyone else to take care of. And a lot of times this is a situation that they face. This woman comes to Elisha, Elisha and says this, the, um, your servant, my husband, was, is dead. And you know that he was reverent for the Lord. But now his creditors are coming to take my two boys as slaves. She's in debt. She has no income. And she is broke. And now she's about to lose the only thing that really matters to her, which is her two sons. Her two heirs. The only thing that are going to take care of her when she gets older. And the only thing that she really cares about and hang on to from her husband. So Elisha takes care of her. And he sends her home and with this miracle of oil. And it continues to flow until she's filled all the jars that she's been able to get it together. And then the oil stops. And she's able to sell the oil, pay off the debtors, and then take care of her family with what's left. It's an amazing story. But we as Christians need to understand that there's people like this. There's people who are in this position and we need to take care of them. We have an obligation to take care of our family. Those in our household, those who are in our community, we have a responsibility to care for them and to understand there's people in that position and it's not because they're bad, it's not because of anything they've done, they've just hit a hard time. And we need to be able and willing to help them out. What about priority? What about priority? Matthew 20 or Matthew 10, 32 or 34 to 39 says this. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace on earth. No, I have come to bring a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, and a mother against her daughter-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What is, God, what is Jesus getting at? Is He using metaphors? Is He actually meaning that we should hate our family? No. What He's after is this. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter or anyone else in their family more than me is not worthy of me. See, because we in our society, even when with, a, with marriage and family being downgraded in, in status in our culture, we still hold it pretty high. And it was held even higher in, in Jesus' time. Jesus isn't downgrading family. He's holding it up here and He's saying, God needs to be up here. God and the people of God, your, your spiritual family, they're up here. 
They're not down here. They're not down here. You don't fit them in anywhere. They're not equal. They're above. You don't lower your view of family. You keep your view of family here and you continually build God up and the family of God higher. That's what God is getting at. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He doesn't want anything to take second place. Here's the point. Biblical family, the idea of biblical family is so interwoven into the spiritual family and into our service to God that the two cannot be unwoven. They are that connected. You you can't separate the two. You can't say, well, I'm not going to take care of my family or I'm not going to take care of the family of God. They are connected completely. Let's look at two other passages real quick. Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to the household or to those who belong to the family of faith. Well, so I just need to take care of the family and I'm going to leave my physical family behind. No, look at Timothy. Timothy 3, or 5, 8, and, or 4 and 8 says this, If any widow has children or even grandchildren, these should first learn to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and also repaying their parents and their grandparents. This is pleasing to God. In verse 8, he sums it up and says, Anyone who does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his own house, is worse than an unbeliever, and he has denied the faith. Family is held up here. Paul and and all the apostles and and all the people throughout history in the Bible, they have held family up here. But the family of God is higher, and the two are so interwoven that you cannot separate them. We must take care of our family, and we must be committed to our family here. We are a family. We are the body of Christ. A family without DNA. DNA doesn't matter. So what do we define family as? Family is described in Scripture involving a man and a woman, if there is a marriage, committed to one another. God doesn't care if it's your first marriage or your seventh marriage. What He's after is a strong marriage now. He wants you to build that marriage. Because when the marriage is weak, the kids will be unruly, and you'll have problems in the household. Watch Super Nanny, watch uh, Nanny 911, and pay attention. It's almost every time it's a problem with the parents. It's a problem with the marriage. When there is no respect in the marriage, when there's no love in the marriage, the kids have problems. It's it's as simple as that. Um, He also wants children. Sometimes children are a part of this equation. Sometimes couples are childless, but most of the time there's children involved. Siblings and extended family are considered part of the bigger context of family. So this is kind of the definition that I've worked on and I was somewhat given by my instructor at sunset of what family is. What we need to be obtaining. That it's not this cut and dry, simple thing. It's a complex, pokey little entity called family. And it's going to have bumps and bruises and warts and everything else. But we have to love it, we have to work on it, and we have to continually come to the Scriptures and aim for what God is calling us to. So what is our target as biblical family? Colossians 3, 18 and 20 to 21 sums up what our goal for family should be. Now, some of us aren't here yet. Some of us are going to have different things that we can't do. But this is God's goal for our family. This is something to aim towards. Wives, you need to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, you need to love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, you have to obey your parents. You have to. Simple and dry. Fathers, actually I think you can say parents here. Parents, do not embitter your children. Raise them up in the admonition of the Lord. You need to find that bend in that child. 
You need to find what motivates them. You need to find what makes them tick. You need to work with them, figure them out, and you need to work on bending, straightening up that board so that you can then launch it in faith in God so that they can hit the mark that God has intended them to hit. That is your role as as parents. So I don't necessarily know what you individually need to do. Maybe you don't have a family close by. You're single, you're in college. This needs to be your family. If you're one who doesn't have a relationship with people here, maybe we we as a family need to be working more and more on reaching out to those here who walk in our doors. But if you're one who doesn't have a relationship here, maybe you need to look internally as well. Are you one of the first ones up and out? Or do you stick around and kind of try to make those relationships? Because if you're gone before I can get to the, my front, the front door, then there's no way I can catch and even build a relationship with you. So you have to be around. You have to come around and you have to stick around so we can talk to you and build those relationships. Um, God is willing to meet our families where they're at. I don't necessarily know what your family needs. We'll look at family more in depth. Um, next month. But our goal has to be to seek God with all that we are. With all that we can be. And we have to be willing to meet one another where we're at so that we can seek after what this is. So that we can be a light to the world around us. And until we are able to do that, I don't know that God's going to continue to increase our number. We have to work internally first before we can reach out in a profound way. If there's anything we can do for you, if you need to become part of the family of God, you can come now while we stand and while we sing.